I hope that everyone traveling to Washington for the game this weekend, I wish you all, you know what, have a nice day. But I am right here in Piscataway, New Jersey with another fresh Rutgers Scoutcast where we're going to preview the Rutgers football season. We take a look at tomorrow's kickoff, today's kickoff, yesterday's kickoff, depending on when you listen to the show. But what I can say is that this is the show about which I'm most excited, and it's the 26th one we've done so far. In case you didn't know already, I am Sam Hellman, the host of the Rutgers Scoutcast, Scarlet Report publisher, and guess what? We got a pretty exciting guest this week that you're going to hear in the body of the show. You know him as Mr. Pandemonium in Biscataway, the voice of Rutgers football and basketball for a long time now, and that is the one and only Chris Carlin. Before we get into what's on my mind this week and jump into the body of the show, uh, I want to just take a minute and express my thanks to Chris for joining me on the show. When I decided to do a podcast, he was one of the first people that I thought would be a spectacular guest on this show, and he doesn't disappoint in the body of the show. I think that for a lot of people my age that follow Rutgers or people that grew up in this area following the Mets. Everyone knows who Chris Carlin is. I know who he was well before I started to meet him and talk to him, you know, as a member of the Rutgers media. Because guess what? I watch television. He's someone that I've watched for 10, 15 years now. So it was a pretty surreal moment when he pulled up to my apartment complex Earlier this week, I invited him inside and and we sat down to record this. He's definitely the most famous person that's ever been in my apartment, you know, other than me. And he didn't have to do that. He he went out of his way, devoted an hour and a half of his day, probably the last free day he has in a long time now that it's football season, to join the show and and to have a fun conversation you're going to hear more about. So again, I just want to say a special thanks to Chris Carlin and to all of you listening out there. Let Chris know that he didn't waste his time by coming to hang out with me for the show. Shoot him a tweet or a message. I know a lot of you follow him on Facebook and everything. Shoot him a message and and tell him thanks. Tell him something that you liked about the show. Tell him how terrible I am. Just tell him something. Let him know that you listened because I appreciate it. Now, with that said, here's a couple things that are on my mind before we jump into our official conversation with Chris Carlin and a season preview and everything else that you can expect from the weekly Rutgers scout cast. The first thing that's on my mind in the world of recruiting is Fred Hansard. He's the uh, one of the top defensive linemen in New Jersey, a four-star out of the Hun School that, as everyone knows by now, committed to Florida over Rutgers last week, and he did it in that classic pre-made video fashion that always seems to rub fans the wrong way unless it's their school that he picks. Uh, Let me just say a couple quick things about Fred Hansard. You guys are probably sick about hearing about him by now. First off, this recruitment is not over. Secondly, I think most people, especially our Scarlet Report insiders listening to the show, knew he wasn't picking Rutgers when that announcement came, so I hope it wasn't too much of a shock. And thirdly, Look, I, I get that there were New York themes in the video. Honestly, I didn't watch the whole video. But what I can say 
is there's no way that Fred Hansard meant anything malicious towards Rutgers in the way that he made that announcement. Maybe other people did think it was a fun shot at Rutgers. We've seen how these videos take shots at schools before, but I'll say that there's a 0% chance that Fred Hansard was throwing up the double middle finger to Rutgers with that commitment. Fred Hansard likes Rutgers a lot. Uh, if he ends up going elsewhere to play in college, I bet you he still follows Rutgers and cheers for him. He's got friends on this team. He's got friends that are committed to Rutgers. So don't don't take it as an insult to Rutgers from Hansard. And you know what? Don't Don't insult him back. Just let him have his moment. Let him enjoy his decision. And guess what? Rutgers is still in pretty good shape with some good football players. You guys read about where things stand with Paramus Catholic defensive tackle Corey Bolds. Rutgers has some good D linemen committed, so let's just move on. Uh, one other thing on my mind before we jump into Chris Carlin. Rutgers training camp is over, and the last day of access that I had, you know, as one of the few media members that actually covered every day possible, uh, was a special teams day, pretty much. It was an afternoon practice, the last full practice of camp before they broke. And we spoke afterwards with Chris Ash, where he named a bunch of starters. We spoke with special teams coordinator Vince O'Crew and the majority of the specialists. Um, and I think that I hope that people got to check out the interviews with kicker David Bonagora and punter Michael Cintron. They're both fun stories, uh, two examples of Jersey kids that really. Two years ago, were not guys even in the mix at punter and kicker. But while other guys quit, other guys graduated, other guys transferred, Bonagora from Ramapo and Cintron from Piscataway and St. Joe's Metuchen stayed. Neither one is a dynamic weapon in special teams right now. Punting and kicking is still a concern for me. But what you are going to see at kickoff against Washington all the way through the season are two guys that love Rutgers and work their butts off to win those jobs. Both of them uh, very passionate guys, very excited to be where they are. So know that even if the numbers aren't great, even if they struggle at times, they're working very hard and they love Rutgers. Speaking of Rutgers, it is time for our season preview. And it is time to jump into my conversation with Chris Carlin, the play-by-play voice of the Scarlet Knights, with most people in New Jersey not getting the Pac-12 network, there is no better time to tune in to Chris Carlin, Ray Lucas, the whole team over on Rutgers Radio to listen to the game. So without further ado, here is Chris Carlin. Well, we have a professional on the Rutgers Scoutcast for once. Uh, not myself, obviously, professional podcaster. This time we have professional broadcaster, the voice of Rutgers Lots of Things. <laughs> I don't know what to call you. Yeah, I'm just the guy that shows up, Sam. I'm just the guy that shows up. But it's, yeah, it's it's an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you. Now, I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting. What's going on? Not much. Uh, you say that you've been around a while. According to a press release I read the other day from one Hasim Phillips, 16 years. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Graciano's first year. And um, I wanted to try to get the uh, the play-by-play job uh, at the time in the worst way, 
and they hired Tom McCarthy, who was doing the Phillies games, uh, and at the time was doing pre and post game for the Phillies, and they offered me the sideline job, and um, I remember thinking like, ah, I don't know if I want to go to the sidelines, do that, and a friend of mine who went to Rutgers just kind of smacked me in the back of the head and said, what are you talking about? Of course you're going to do it, and and she was right, so um, I started doing it and, and kind of fell in love with it and with the place, and, and they were great enough that when Tom left after three years that they uh, they gave me the job, and I was thrilled to have it and loved doing it. It's it's always been a kind of a labor of love for me. Just to be clear, your first game when you were on the sidelines, I was 13. You were 13. Yeah, so I was like watching... That really American... makes me feel good. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Watching American Pie in my mom's basement. <laughs> you know. And hey, just, just like now, uh, being disappointed by the Mets. <laughs> Well, all right, so what is, yeah, okay, so what's your earliest Mets memory then, not to get off topic, but well, at that point? I, I was sort of a Braves fan when I was real young, because that was all we had, right? We had TBS, okay, and we sort of had the Orioles, because right. there were no Nationals yet where I grew up. So my first real memory was watching Braves-Mets, and I just threw a tantrum, because I thought that the Elms blew a call that led to the Mets win. This is maybe like 95, and I was so upset. I uh, I wrote a letter to the Major League Baseball to give to my dad, and then I still made fun of him for that. Really? Yeah, but by the time I was old enough to really understand sports, then you know I'm, I'm a, in a Met family. Do you remember who the umpire was? <sighs> Probably hard. No, I don't. But so at this point, you're what five or six, maybe? Yeah, I'm just okay. going to go ahead and guess it was CB Buckner. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair assessment. He probably wasn't even in the minor leagues yet, but that's a fair guess because he's terrible. He's yeah. he's a god awful umpire. Could have been Angel Hernandez. Could have been Dan Iasonia. They're all terrible. Exactly. Um, so back on football, you've been doing this a while. You're everyone obviously can hear you. Um, the kickoff is tomorrow when people are listening to this. Yes. Yeah. So. You can tune into your WCTC, WOR. Uh, you got a new affiliate with Fox Sports in the Trenton area. Yeah, I think it's 920, so we're thrilled to have them. And then the, the big one now, as you know, is, is you know just all the app stuff. We get so many people now listening on the TuneIn app, and that's the way they have structured that is fantastic. Uh, the folks from IMG set that up, so that's really been good too. Yeah, and I, I think that with this being on Pac-12 Network, a lot of people aren't going to watch this game, so <laughs> maybe uh, maybe go find Chris Collin and the gang and, and Fooch and Ray Lucas and all those. Yeah, it wouldn't kill you. I mean, you know, you could find us easy enough. We're not Pac-12. We're not going to make you pay for it. Now, I'm you can go to the yard and watch it, too. I'm highly entertained by Ray Lucas. I'm a big fan, <laughs> you know, whether it's Jets or Rutgers, and I love Fooch, but I think my favorite guys on your team are the two Rutgers football players, Eric Legrand and Maluski. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you pick two better guys to work with? I tell you, they are tremendous guys. And, and, you know, with Eric, admittedly, I did not have much of a relationship with him prior to the injury. Um, you know, we had chatted a couple of times, but you know how it is with football. When there's 100 kids on the roster, you kind of do your best to get to know them. But really got to know him after the injury, and it's been fantastic to have him join in and He's just so into it, and he, he wears his... That's the thing about our broadcast, and I know there's always debates about it, but when it's a home broadcast, you have a lot of guys on our broadcast that wear their hearts in their sleeve, and I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. You know, it's um, whether it's Ray, whether it's Eric, whether it's David, David's the same way. Um, it, uh, I think it adds a lot. And, you know, 
with David, I mean, here's one of the brightest people I've ever met, oh, period. Yeah. And it's, it's scary how smart this guy is. And, uh, you know, it just made too much sense when he decided not to play that one more year of eligibility to ask him to see if he was going to, you know, be interested in being involved. And he's, he's been fantastic. He, I was in Saraville's library when he signed his letter for Rutgers, and even mm. then I'm like, all right, if things work out here, I'm probably going to be working for this guy in about two years. <laughs> well, that's the other reason why I asked him to get involved, because we're all going to be working for this guy at some point. I mean, I remember talking to him, Sam, I don't know, probably his, I want to say his junior year. It was his, his first, 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 first year second. back from the injuries, you know, and I, I said, what'd you do this summer? And, well, I, I spent a week in a monastery. I uh, was sleeping on a, on a mat for a week just to see what that was like. Just to see what that was like. I mean, you know, what 19, 20-year-old kid does that at that point? Yeah, well, I mean, we've already seen Tim Pernetti go from broadcaster to AD. I, you can go ahead and lock in my bet now that Lucy's <laughs> going to be in that conversation when he's in his 40s. I don't disagree, and it may not be 40s. It may be, it may be early 30s, the way things go with that guy. Uh, I'll have to let Pat Hobbs know that he's leaving soon. <laughs> don't, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Pat Hobbs, mm. um, he, he, uh, he got some money out of you recently with the facilities fund and everything. Yeah. What... What made you so excited with all the changes that he's, not just him, but President Bartsy, Greg Brown, everybody? Yeah, you know, I, I think the thing that really bothers most Rutgers fans is just you've, you've had a, a tough few years of negativity, excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, my bad. And, uh, you know, with that being the case, when Pat came in and with... Chris and with uh, Coach Peichel, you just really have some real good vibes for the first time in a while. And that's not speaking ill of, of anybody else that was here, but you've got so much of the, the controversy that's gone on for so long, and, the, and you're just in the newspapers for the wrong reason. And Sam, the other thing is, in traveling through the Big Ten through the first two seasons, I mean, it's off the charts what's available to these guys that Rutgers just does not have. Now, um, there's a huge benefit to the fact that most of them are not in the New York area, so Rutgers is going to end up paying two and a half times what they will to build anything. But I just felt like, uh, you know, I talked to my wife, who also works at Rutgers for Sean Tucker, the former uh, player who now runs the Leadership Academy, and I just felt like um, after talking to Pat a few times, uh, maybe we could do something they make it easy for you to donate where you can break it up over a couple of years. So let's do something that's, you know, reasonably significant. And they asked me to talk about it, too, and I was more than willing to. So we gave $10,000 over four years. So it's, it's going it, <laughs> to—I remember Pat at the time saying, I, I want folks to reach into their pockets with all they can do, and I, I do want it to hurt a little bit. <laughs> so it hurts a little bit. But, you know, we're good with it, and, and we feel like we're, we're being part of the— Solution specifically with the with the, the multi uh, multi um, sport facility they're trying to build. So um, we're fortunate enough to be there. It's been a place that has been remarkably good to me and to my wife. She's kind of found her life's work there. So um, we just wanted to do it, and you know, again, not doing a ton, but significant enough that that we would feel good about it. 
I went to Rutgers. You didn't, but you're doing more than I am. That's for sure. <laughs> um, well, but, you know, I mean, the thing is, is, I grew up in Jersey. And when I was in high school in the late 80s, we didn't talk about Rutgers. It wasn't a place that I really considered going. And I regret that now. And I think about, um, you know, why that was at the time. And so I guess... I'm a Jersey guy. I take a lot of pride in the state, and it's it's the state university. And like I said, over 16 years, they have been very, very good to me. Uh, last thing before we jump into the, I guess, the Rutgers football talk, this is our season preview episode. Mm. I don't think there's a lot of people outside of maybe Eddie Jordan or Joe Boylan, guys that travel with the team like you do in basketball, that can compare the rack facilities to the other places out there you already said that was an influence on you but can you explain how different this is compared to nebraska yeah i mean nebraska just built a brand new building for their for basketball and has nebraska ever been known for basketball no um now the thing that that they have they obviously have all of these schools have is the bigger donor base to work with that they have uh, built up over years the football games are are an event but Nebraska has a gorgeous new basketball building that cost them a hundred some million dollars. Um, again, a situation where if you tried to build that building in downtown New Brunswick, you're talking about four hundred probably. Um, the example I would really use is um, Michigan. Now, Coach Boylan, who did it with me last year, right. knows John Beeline very well. So we were there for shoot around last year, and Coach brought me back to their facility, their practice facility, which is attached to Crystal Arena. Um, Coach Beeline got there in 2007. They had, at, in this brand-new practice facility, up on the wall, a giant screen that comes down. And in the middle of practice, as they are shooting practice, he can stop practice with a little remote control, stop the video, and, and, or you know, bring it down, play the video back, Here's what you did wrong. Here's, I mean, that's ridiculous. And they had three, uh, three to four full courts, and it was beautiful. But what really stuck with me about that was that in, in hearing from him after the fact, he talked about how Crystal Arena was like the rack when he got there. And now it's been refurbished, and now they have that other building and it makes you think, all right, this is maybe not as far off as we think it is from being able to do something. If you can renovate, if you can, um, you know, do all the things that you need to do. And as you and I both know, you better than me, the practice facility is everything now. It's, it's everything for that. The other thing is recently I took a tour through the SEC for SiriusXM. And, I mean, that's just a whole nother level that, you know, is really remarkable. So they, there's no question that there's a lot of improvements that have to be made but you know with the amount of money that has to be raised it's not going to be easy the other good news is we know that the money is coming in a couple of years in terms of the big 10 revenue money well the best way for the money to be coming on this show is for fans to go ahead and check out fanessentials.net chris i'm going to tell you a little bit about that chris you deal with fans in all walks of life, you know, with the stuff you've been doing on SNY forever, I mean, Mets, Jets, Yankees, Giants, everyone, you know fans that love gear and love to wear their team's apparel, and that's where fanessentials.net comes in. 
How would you like to get your favorite team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Well, check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to, and each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan, or you can be selfish and go ahead and get one for yourself. Prices start at just $34.99 at FanEssentials.net, but here's the thing. Because you're a fan of the Rutgers ScoutCast, you can use my promo code SCARLET. You put that in at FanEssentials.net at checkout, and you get 30% off your first month just like that. Visit FanEssentials.net to get all the essentials you need. Now, let's look at the season. Chris, most people are listening to this. You're already out in Seattle. What are you looking for in this first game? It's so many changes on the field, off the field. How do you go into a game like this with any expectation? Yeah, I, you know, Washington is obviously a, a team that a lot of people feel like is on the rise right now. Um, they finished last season very strong. I think when you're shifting philosophies on both sides of the ball, uh, you are looking for the execution of the offenses, you know, specifically with this offense, um, as cleanly as possible. And same thing on the defensive side. You want to make sure that there are not a lot of mental mistakes being made. Um, I, from what I have seen, I'm relatively confident that will be the case. It's a, it's a tough assignment. I think this is a, a better game than maybe the odds makers seem to indicate so far. But, um, you know, people are always going to think what I'm going to think anyway. You exactly. know, exactly. You know, they're going to identify me with Rutgers, but I think it will be. I think it will be closer. But I, I do think that. Um, I, I just really feel like you want to make sure you're going to see um, an understanding of what you're doing now versus what they've been doing the last few years. And from what I can gather, there has been a pretty good um, understanding of what they're running on offense and what they're doing on defense differently now. I would say, especially on defense, from talking to the players, it's so much simpler what they're being asked to do in terms of schemes. I mean, it's a challenge to go one-on-one with some of the receivers that they're facing this year, but it's not the NFL reads where you have to go through four or five pre-snap reads. It's just, here's where you stand, there's who you cover. So I think that they're going to adjust while there. It's just a matter of if sophomore Bless on Austin, sophomore Isaiah Wharton can compete against Big Ten receivers. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And and the one thing I would say about Bless is you've seen him make very very big strides this year. Last year that pass defense, I mean, they honestly just looked like they didn't know what they were doing at times. That they were um, either crossed up or had the wrong read. And yet you have guys that are just wide open, and they're obviously not that bad players to do. That So I, I think it'll be easier. I also get the impression that the offense is going to be simpler, too. I think, uh, you know, for Chris Laviano, uh, we all know that he's not the typical um, dual threat type quarterback, although we've seen him run before well. Mostly for his life. Yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah, but listen, that happened before, too. And, yeah. But I mean... You know, it might have been more surprised at the time, but, you know, at Nebraska a couple of years ago, had a big run. I think that that was probably part of it. But I do think it will be a simpler process for Chris. I definitely get that impression. So, I, and for, for everybody else, for that matter. So, I will be interested to see, you know, the 
how this goes in terms of handoffs out of the shotgun and whether to keep it or to, or to go ahead and hand it off, things like that. The execution of what you're trying to do is what I'm most interested in seeing week one. You mentioned Chris Laviano. Obviously, he's a big part of the offseason conversation. My only real examples are Rutgers quarterbacks to compare to, but you doing all the Jets and Giants stuff that you do, and like you said, you've been in, watching the SEC, doing the Big 12 stuff. What's your take on Chris Laviano as a quarterback you know, as a weapon and then his offseason of change, I guess you'd call it. Well, they've talked about a lot that, that Chris has really done a lot of things the right way this offseason, and it's always a maturing process for any player. Um, you want to see it play out on the field. Am I smart enough to always know what I'm looking at? No. But I think Chris is a guy who is really starting to understand not just the role of quarterback, the role of leader, um, all the uh, responsibilities that come with that, if you can make it an easier thing for, for a quarterback to make decisions based on what he sees, that's going to be better for anybody. So I think Chris has ability. I do think Chris has ability. We have seen him make some pretty good throws before. There's no question. It's just, you know, is he going to find his way through the adverse times when things don't go well or things are not, you know, uh, rolling along, I think that's the, the case for any player. You know New York, New Jersey fans as well as anyone. Is this just what you go through when you're a quarterback in this area? Yeah, and and that's part of it, Sam. I mean, look, fans are fans. They're frustrated. You know, they want to they see better play. And I know that a lot of fans were yelling about a quarterback change last year. You know, when it comes to that stuff, and I, I, I would do it too, okay, because I'm a football fan. But I have learned in watching it over the last, you know, 30 years, but also working in the profession for the last 20, I would say really I have a better appreciation for it over the last seven or eight because if the guy's on the field, I think every coach is always treating it like this is my best chance to win. And people always buy into the, well, he's not playing him because he's not this guy or he's so-and-so's guy or, or for whatever reason. There's always, to me, a good football reason that a guy's not out there and, and a guy is out there. And if a coach feels like he's the best opportunity to win, that's all coaches want. They don't care how many yards. They don't care any of that. As long as they got one more point than the other guy at the end of the day, that's the most important thing to them in the end. So for you being a play-by-play -play broadcaster, how do you feel about moving to a no-huddle offense? It's going to be tricky. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it is going to be very tricky because I don't know if you know, Sam, I'm a bit wordy. <laughs> I tend to stretch things out a little bit. I I'm have gonna, seen loudmouths before. Yes, yes, exactly. So I have to tighten it up quite a bit, and I have been thinking about that a lot this week. And at the same time, it's going to make things more difficult for Ray and Eric, too, because I have to make sure that I'm giving them enough room to do that. And I know that before, when we played against teams that are no huddle offenses, it does not make it easy at all. I, uh, I look forward to hearing another year of Ray breaking down Chris Laviano on the air, though. <laughs> Listen, Ray's a quarterback. Exactly. And, and like I said, Ray lives with his heart on his sleeve. And that he gets, when things aren't going right, he gets frustrated because Ray's a Jersey guy and Ray's got that chip on his shoulder. But he also, I think, got frustrated before with, with 
um, play because he knows what needs to be done as a quarterback, and he knows the ability that I think Chris does have. But again, we'll, we'll see. He's he's made some strides, that, and watching him in practice, uh, the times that I've seen him, he certainly looks like he's made some strides, and he he certainly looks like he's their best opportunity to win right now. We uh, we're recording this conversation in the lovely tech corridor of Edison, New Jersey, that is my apartment. Yeah. Um, training camp has just wrapped up. We've both seen a lot of camp. You've probably seen more than I have. I'm not really sure. But what, what jumped out to you or surprised you about this camp? Is there a position battle or a freshman or something that you didn't expect happening? Hmm. I mean, I think there are a few freshmen that – you know, have have a chance to play. I think Damon Hayes has opened some eyes. Um, he's been a guy. guy. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Sam's smiling right away. DC guy. Um, he has opened some eyes. I think there's a chance, you know, you could see him on the field at some point. You know, I think Greg Jones really taking yeah. a linebacker as oh, well yeah. as he has. I mean, he's right up there on the depth chart, you know. He's going to play, and that's a guy that you know was a special teamer and you know fullback, but really wasn't getting on the field. I, I think that's been that's been real good to see. Um, other position battles, you know, boy, I I'm excited to see Vance Matthews in a regular um, playing rotation, so to speak. You know, he he's gotten on the field here and there. He's grown up a lot. I think this is a year where he could add something. But, you know, that's going to be tricky. The, the whole receiver thing, without Leonte Carew, I mean, even when he was banged up in the second half of last season, he's still out there, and they still have to double him, and they still have to pay all that respect to him. Is Andre Patton going to take that next step? You know, because two years ago, at the end of the season, we really started to think this is right. this is going to be it. And last year did not, I don't think, put up the numbers that he would have wanted to, but um, there's a lot of mitigating circumstances there. Uh, and just the running backs, um, from all accounts, Justin Goodwin has really been very good this year through camp. And he's a guy that has shown that ability before. Fans will remember SMU a couple of years ago. And, you know, he's been bounced around. I mean, think about the fact that two years ago he started at corner and on the first series has an interception. Yeah. So when you're a good athlete, that says something for you, but they've been particularly deep at that at that position. So there are a few different places that I'm very excited to see. I'm also very excited to see the offensive line. You know, I think inside they get a chance to be pretty good. Yeah, I talking on Justin Goodwin, I think he's the best example of what Kenny Parker can do for this program. Goodwin's yeah. 211 pounds going into training camp. He's bigger than Robert Martin. Yeah. Would never have expected something like no. that. Um, you mentioned the offensive line. One of the biggest surprises to me, and it's probably a pleasant surprise, is J.J. Denman won back the right yeah. tackle job, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, we're recording this before the starters for the game are announced, but it looks like he's going to be the guy ahead of Zach Heeman. I thought that Denman, after a rough spring for him, might might not earn back you know his playing time, and it looks like he responded well to what he went through, and he's back as a fifth year senior. And you can't, I can't say enough about how important that experience is. With yeah, the other tackle being brand new. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree, and I think that um, again, what is that about? It's about kind of responding to some adversity. You know, how are you going to? Um, respond when you lose your starting job or, or you move down to depth chart or however it is 
and he has fought his way back to get back, and I, I give him a lot of credit for that. I think that it's, uh, it's a very interesting um, mix on that offensive line, and, you know, Chris Muller is, is just going to be solid. You know, he's going to be very solid, and it's funny. We've, you can have so many funny exchanges with that kid. It's, it's really off the charts. He's been giving me beard advice lately, and it's just not working out well for me so far. I'm so mad at him because he promised me a fat sandwich in my name when he really? was a recruit. He never pulled through for me. Wow. Yeah, so we're going to have I mean, to there's a limited him. amount of time left here, but... Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe he'll do that after his playing days are over and <laughs> Kenny Parker isn't yelling at him anymore. That's a fair but point. But I think the Fat Hellman just sounds delightful. The Fat Hellman, what would be on the Fat Hellman? Oh, nothing, nothing good. Nothing good, no. no, but, I mean, yeah, I'd have to think about that. I, I mean, there are so many combinations that have been taken already. Yeah, that's the thing. You don't want to rip anything off. Yeah. Uh, Chris, we close all these with the same three Rutgers-related questions. I actually have a fourth one for you, too, but... Mm-hmm. My first question to you, Chris, is uh, your Rutgers experiences. Who who would you say is your favorite athlete uh, at Rutgers? My Whether favorite, it's right now or someone in the past, just your favorite Rutgers athlete. My favorite Rutgers athlete, um, Brian Leonard, is definitely up there, and I know he's high on a lot of lists. Um, you know, honestly, Pat Kivlahan's up there oh. too. He's a trim. I tell you, the the fact that he made it to the Bigs this this past week and uh, the story that that he put together, um, it's just remarkable when you think about it. Just not picking up a bat in four years, and after being an impact player for football, you know, on, on special teams and a little bit of safety too. Um, so Pat's certainly up there. I guess uh, Ray Rice is always going to be one of my favorites, um, and, and, and frankly, David Maluski. Uh, is is really right there because you can have a conversation about anything with that kid, and and I say kid, but again we'll be working for him. But he wants to know about everything. He doesn't care if it's football related or or just life related. He wants to know about everything. I when I answered these myself the first episode of the show, and I went with Mike Teal. Yeah, Mike's up there too because yeah. he went through everything Chris Laviano's going through right now. Very true. And look how it turned out for him. Yeah, very true. And and I think that, you know, with Mike, I mean, you think about that. In 2005, uh, he's struggling at Connecticut. Uh, they pull him. They bring in Ryan Hart. He brings him, back, uh, brings him back. They win the game. How are you going to deal with that? Mike Teal showed you right away how he was going to deal with that. Yeah, now he's going to be the head coach at Don Bosco sooner or later. You would think so. Um, you would think so. Second question Please don't choose the cop-out answer here, but what's your favorite Rutgers memory? The cop-out answer, but, all right. I'll, I'll <laughs> for, you, this, for you, it's acceptable. All right, but I'll, take the, I'll, put, I'll put a nice little spin on it for Thank you. you. How about that? It is, it is 2006. It is November 9th. Yeah. And it always will be. Uh, a couple of things about it that I'll share. Number one, Sam, so I, at the time, I lived in Queens, and so uh, getting down here was always a little bit tricky. I left my house that day at 1 o'clock. I did not pull into the parking lot until almost 6, almost 6 o'clock. And it wasn't because of just the traffic around the stadium and there was a ton of it, but it was traffic everywhere in the middle of the day on the turnpike. I, I have never cursed so much in my entire life. I'm like, today, really? This is going to happen today? But the other part for me, 
it wasn't just the end of the game, Sam. Right, I always felt like this was going to be the case, and it really was. That moment right before kickoff, where this place is jammed to the hilt. I was asked for, you know, I came up with 14 tickets for the game, and I came up 12 short. Um, to see this place that years earlier you could have walked up, pick up tickets off the ground and walked in, or they might not have even asked you for tickets and walked in, um, because I grew up in the state, just to see it for that moment going nuts. Um, I do remember tearing up a little bit about that and, and when it happened and just kind of, uh, you know, taking a big gulp. Um, you know, I had a lot of, uh, there, there are a few others, but, um, you know, there were some great basketball wins over the years. And I know it's a cop-out answer, but I, it just the couple of parts of it, not even necessarily at the end. The end was amazing, but, um, you know, seeing Tim Pernetti crying a little bit, that was, that was pretty good. Uh, I remember was it, the week, it was two weeks before, I think, at Pittsburgh um, when Ray Rice took off from the 10 and Revis caught him inside the 10. So he had like a 90-yard run. Um, Tim slammed his hand down and broke his watch. <laughs> Stuff like that. I mean, you know. I, I think if you're the pandemonium and Biscataway guy, it's okay to pick that as an answer. Like, I'll allow it. I, I appreciate you, that. You, you and Jeremy Ito, everyone else, I think it's a cop-out. I appreciate that. I think that um, what's funny is, is, so they years ago, the, um, the donors, uh, I forget what it was, somebody made the bottle opener with the call. And they, were, they didn't sell them. They were only giving them out to donors, but somebody sent me two or three of them. And if I use it now in the house, I don't use it in the house, but if I use it now in the house, it freaks the hell out of the dog. The dog just runs, sprints, doesn't want to see it, scares the hell out of her. I would just sign him and put him right on eBay if I were you. <laughs> um, last question. Well, two more because I have a bonus one for you. Right. Uh, last Rutgers question here. If you get one more meal on the Rutgers campus in New Brunswick, Piscataway, what are you eating? Where are you going? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great Gotten question. Gotten some great answers. Some terrible ones, too. Darius Hamilton told me Chipotle. What? I know. Darius. Just when Come I thought on. I liked him. Chipotle, little hole in the wall place. Um, I mean, does it have to be on campus in New Brunswick? Stuff your face, yeah, is right there. Um, I like. I have always liked uh, Old Man Rafferty's a lot. Uh, yeah, I'd go. The thing that bothers me, and, and the grease trucks always, of course. This has to be a very stressful. This is probably the most stressful question of the three, right? It is. But the grease trucks, yes, but I can't find them. You know, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I saw one last week at the stadium uh, on fan appreciation. All right, let's go. It's like it's almost like, you know, I wish they would invent, like, Pokemon Go for the grease trucks. Here's, you know, I know there's a map, and I know that, you know, they're at particular places on particular days. But, yeah, make a little game out of it. I guarantee I'll find it. <laughs> All right, last question, and uh, you know, make sure that you are following Chris Twitter at Chris Carlin SNY. You watch him on SNY, Loudmouth, Sirius XM Playbook, all of the other stuff that you do. Look, if you're listening to this, you know who Chris Carlin is. <laughs> okay, um, but here's the last thing. I was uh, updating my resume a couple years ago. Just you know, that's what you do when you're my age. Mm. And I talked to you about it, mm -hmm. and you told me that you once had 
some WWE interactions. I did. How are you not the voice of Monday Night Raw? It is one of the biggest regrets in my life and probably the biggest regret in my professional life. And it wasn't I had interactions. Somebody contacted my agent at the time, and I was, you know, I was probably 35, but they had heard me doing a game or something, and I forget what game it was. I can't even tell you what year this was. And said, they're interested in you auditioning. And they didn't even say it was for Raw or for anything like that. They just said auditioning to be an announcer for them. Right. And I thought about it because I grew up a huge wrestling fan. Huge wrestling fan. I did too. I just never grew up. I know. Uh, well, by the way, you're, still, uh, you, might, you might not notice you're sitting next to a signed photo of Mick Foley. Oh, I did not see that. It is Mr. Sacco. Well done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I was a huge Road Warriors guy. But for some reason, or Legion of Doom in the WWE, whatever, copyright, um, some reason I felt like, you know what, I want to be a legitimate announcer. And, and so I, I passed on even going to audition. Like, what are you doing, you idiot? That would have been awesome. And I, I can honestly tell you at the time, I never saw uh, wrestling showing up on SportsCenter. So, yeah. you know, in terms of mainstream, it's a lot more mainstream now than it ever was before. But it, it is a big regret. All right, well, before listeners turn this off, because I inevitably started talking about wrestling, which right. I do every week on this show, make sure that you tune in tomorrow. Rutgers, yes. Rutgers at Washington, Chris Carlin, Ray Lucas, Fooch, lots of guys. Yep. Uh, if you don't get the Pac-12 network, I don't. Best way to take in the game. Yeah, please do. Please uh, check us out. Tune in, WOR 710, um, you know, WCTC, uh, 9.20 a.m. in Central Jersey. We'd love to have you in. Looking forward to getting the season going. I can't believe we're here already, but here we are. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Sam. Okay, before we jump into my conversation with Brian Doan, Scout National Recruiting Analyst, we're going to be predicting, you know, taking a look at Washington specifically and giving our season predictions. We're not going to go as in-depth on the season predictions at all as you're going to see uh, this Friday, today really, Probably by the time you're listening to it, we're going to be doing a big season preview, game preview special that you can get every week as a premium Scarlet Report member. Hit up scarletreport.com, try that free seven-day trial, reach out to me on social media or at my email, shelman at scout.com for more information. I can take care of you if you are a Rutgers Scoutcast listener. But before that, I want to jump into our Rutgers mailbag segment for this week. Same ways to contact me as you would anything else, Twitter, my email, best way to do it is through the scarletreport.com premium message boards, and that's where the first question comes in our mailbag. A little bit different this week, focusing all on Rutgers. Question one came from Josh. He sent me a message asking, what happened to Kobe Marfo? Well, no, I wouldn't say anything happened to Kobe Marfo. He's had a solid camp. What I would say is that as far as newcomers, he didn't adjust as quickly as cornerback Damon Hayes, and so that's why you see Damon Hayes as the fourth guy in that rotation. But look, if you think that you're going to go through a Big Ten season with four corners only, you're, you're uh, kidding yourself. 
I, I still think Kobe Marfo is going to have an on-field role this year. I mean, maybe not pushing for super playing time, but I wouldn't read too much into him being on the scout team and getting ready for Washington because being game ready for game one is totally different than game four or five. He's probably the number five corner right now. The, the bigger surprise to me at corner would be that Ross Douglas did not jump into a starter's role by the end of training camp. And that's not against Ross Douglas. He's adjusting to a new position. I think that's a major compliment to the improvements made by Blesson Austin in training camp. Austin didn't have the best spring. He probably struggled a little more than Isaiah Wharton in the transition to press coverage into that man one-on-one coverage. But he's done a lot better this camp, and I think that Wharton and, and Austin both took it personally when Aaron Henry has said multiple times, both to the team and to us, like, look, this defense was awful last year. Well, those two guys were key parts of that awful defense. I think they took that personally, and that's why they bought in so quickly to the changes, and I credit both of them for a good camp. But as far as Kobe Marfo, uh, if you haven't seen him by week six, ask me this question again. Uh, but right now, I'm not concerned. I think he did what he needed in camp. He's never played Big Ten football, so it's going to be the same adjustment that everyone else is going through. Our second question of three this week in the mailbag came from Scarlet Knight 94 on the Scarlet Report Premium Message Boards. Shout out to South Jersey. He asked, "Can you tell us who is breaking down game film and helping the game plan for Washington?" What is the process? Are there behind-the-scenes guys doing this? Well, yes. The short answer is yes, there absolutely are. Every staff does things differently, and everyone in most college football programs is watching film, getting ready for games. Everyone should be watching film on flights, watching film all the time. But what Rutgers has now, and I, I talked about this a couple weeks ago with the expanded coaching staff, adding so many full-time coaching bodies to this staff, is Rutgers can be so much stronger in terms of its advanced scouting. Rutgers can look ahead weeks at a time to be more prepared for game three or four instead of just having to go all in week by week by week. As far as people behind the scenes, there's a ton of them. You can flip through your your media guide or go on scarletknights.com and see who a lot of those guys are. The biggest additions or changes that Ash has brought in, and this, believe me, uh, Pat Hobbs gets a thumbs up here too for the bankroll, is the addition of quality control coaches. Rutgers has always had GAs, Rutgers has always had player personnel people, but they haven't had as many quality control people, and those three people behind the scenes right now are Jordan Salkin, Adam Weber, and Jim Monk. Uh, Each one is responsible for a different phase of the game, offense, defense, special teams, and they help out at practice. They're given tips. They, you know, you can only have so many on-field coaches, but these are guys that have to watch a lot of film and have to get the players ready in terms of uh, game study. When you're a a football player, a coach, even a a scout or, or someone like myself that, you know, looks at so many high school players, you have to know how to watch film. It's not just turning on a football game and, and having a good time, you know, listening to some Counting Crows while you're doing it and just having fun watching football. I think it's a Peyton Manning quote. If you don't have a pen and paper when you're watching film, you're wasting your time. You're always looking for 
things, you're looking for details, you're looking for something out of the ordinary. So it's it, a big thing that Rutgers has to do, and we'll see how good this staff is at doing this, is you have to watch film the right way. And I think that with so many now full-time coaches like Bill Bush, Vince O'Crew, that were just in quality control roles, quality control roles, there you go, for Urban Meyer, they're huge advantages in that because they've been preparing to win a national championship with that film study. Thanks for the question. The final question came to me on Twitter. You can hit me up at Sam Hellman Scout or at Scarlet Report for questions and really for all the news and analysis of the day. It came from at RU underscore big and he or she asked, what would you say are the three keys for success against Washington? Well, I mean, I could give you the obvious uh, score more points than your opponent, don't make mistakes on defense, hit a big play, uh, make a big play on special teams, uh, control the line of scrimmage, control the clock, control whatever. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll give you three players that I think are the keys to success against Washington. And when I say success, I don't necessarily mean victory. I think this game is going to be closer than Las Vegas does, that's for sure. But you have to acknowledge Rutgers as the underdog in this battle. The first player that's key is obviously Chris Laviano. It starts with your quarterback. Drew Merringer had an awesome quote this week where he talked about how in a power spread, everyone assumes that your quarterback is your best playmaker, and that's not what Rutgers is at all. Rutgers needs a quarterback that can manage a game and get the ball to playmakers. That's what I want to see from Laviano. I don't need to see a 45-yard touchdown run from him. I need to see him successfully run the read option. Don't botch the handoffs in the shotgun. Don't screw up with false starts. Have confidence. That's what I want to see from Chris Laviano. The more he gets the ball to Janarian Grant and to Justin Goodwin and Josh Hicks, the better that this offense can be. Uh, My second player, especially this week at Washington, is Derek Nelson. He's a team captain for a reason. He's the center, and he needs to have an excellent game. When you look at playing on the road so far from home, 70,000 fans, I don't know if they'll actually draw 70,000 for Rutgers, who went 4-8 last year. But it's going to be a tough road environment, and when you're going no huddle on the road like that, you need a center that is confident, that can communicate, and knows what he's doing. No room for mental errors, and Derek Nelson's a very smart player. I think he's going to have a good game. I asked A.J. Blazek, the offensive line coach, about how Derek Nelson's handled the snap changes now that they're in a power spread. It's all shotgun for him now. The CQ exchange was an issue last year at times under center, But Blazik told me that Nelson's been great at it, and he thinks Nelson's going to have a great year. I'm going to go ahead and take his word for it. I'm going to go ahead and take his word on that one. My final key, I mean, I could pick anyone defensively and say that they're important to this game because they need all 11 to 15 guys rotating in and out to play well. But I'm going to go ahead and put the pressure on strong side linebacker. Now, technically, that's two guys, so you can call me for the cop-out on this one. That's fine. It's Greg Jones as the starter, the walk-on from Colonia, converted running back by way of 
three different colleges before he finally made it here. Great story. I hope you saw Garrett Stepien's article on him on Monday, kind of examining his path to Rutgers. But then it's also Najee Clayton, the Paramus Catholic defensive back turned outside linebacker. Jones will start. Both will play. I think that if you tally up the snaps at the end of the game, Najee Clayton is the one that's going to have a bigger role. But I, I call this an important position because I look at what Ohio State did last year and I look at the things that Chris Ash said in the spring and during training camp about the strong side position. And it is a very key playmaking spot on defense. You need uh, an athletic guy against the run. It's kind of a hybrid position. Obviously, the Duran Lee New York Jets comparisons from Ohio State last year is something that you heard a lot. But you also need to do well in coverage, and you're going against a 3,000-yard passer here. You need a linebacker like Clayton or Jones that has coverage experience to help lock down the middle of the field. You have your corners on the outside and press man, but you need guys that can protect in the middle or you're going to get killed underneath. So that's why the strong side linebacker is my third key position. Thanks again to everyone that asked questions this week. Please submit your questions for next week's podcast. Well, whenever. I would guess that after Washington would be the best time because people are going to want to talk about what happened there and then obviously getting ready for next Saturday when you see live your first Scarlet Knights game from High Point Solutions Stadium. Thanks again to Chris Carlin for joining us this week for season preview. Chris obviously is very supportive of Rutgers. As you know, he talked about his donations and why he believes in the new Rutgers. So after all that positivity, I figure it's time to turn the tables and get negative. So I welcome in Brian Doan, scout, (laughs) national recruiting analyst. You know, the idea that I'm negative, I, I think is unfair. I'm a realist. Everybody can talk about, you know, whether I always pick against Rutgers. Well, in the past few years, they haven't been good. Um, I don't think my predictions have been very off. And, you know, I, I caught a lot of heat for saying things about the old regime that viewed as negative. I don't think when I covered Greg Schiano, people would have thought me as negative. So, negative. I'm one of the most positive people around, Sam, and you know that. Well, speaking of negative, on your own podcast this week... Uh, make sure to check that out on the site with Brian Doan and Michael Clark, our Virginia man. You picked Rutgers to go 4-8 and eight this year. Talk about that. They're not good. They need talent. They don't have many playmakers. They don't have a proven receiver who can be a playmaker. Um, who knows what the offensive line is going to get. I don't care how much better Chris Laviano is. If Chris Laviano is so much better that he's going to turn his team into a seven-win team, then Drew Merringer is going to be around for one year as the offensive coordinator because some program that will pay him a million dollars a year will be knocking on his door. It's a rebuild. It is a hard, hard rebuild. And the schedule is not good for them, not with who they play, Indiana, Illinois, whatever. Beat those teams. Beat Minnesota. The problem is when you're playing back-to-back games, you start the year on the road in a tough spot. I mean, there's just... I think people forget how bad this team was defensively. And, yeah, I think this coaching staff will do a really good job. But they still don't have somebody who can rush the passer. Their linebackers still struggle terribly to run, so you're not going to be able to cover with them. 
the secondary people are talking about being better than expected because we thought it was awful because they were giving up 60 points a game. So when you put all that stuff together, and then you factor in, okay, there's four games maybe you can count that pretty much look like losses on paper. So that leaves you eight more games. And even then you're going to tell me Rutgers is going to play at optimum level in those games to win? I, I don't see it. I, I, it's, a, it's a rebuild. It's a hard, hard rebuild. It is a rebuild. And when I look at Rutgers, I, I, I see a lot of games that are clear losses. And the depth, I think that, you know, we took a lot of criticism for criticizing the depth at the beginning of camp. But, I mean, I think that when you look at the starting lineup graphics tomorrow in the game, you're going to see what we're talking about. I mean, I love Greg Jones, but, I mean, starting Big Ten outside linebacker, he was across the street from me at Middlesex College not even playing football two years ago. I mean, there are guys that are playing great for Rutgers and working hard, but the talent, you know, you're talking about a top 15 team in Washington. Uh, I think that Rutgers is going to surprise some people this year. I think that the schedule, there are winnable games. It's not an ideal setup, and the bye week comes late, which is tough. But I think that some of the teams that they play, they're going to catch off guard, and I think that this is a kind of coaching staff that, for once at Rutgers, we're going to see them outcoach the other team. Uh, I will predict that Rutgers is playing for a bowl game at Maryland at the end of the season. I don't think Rutgers makes it to a bowl game, so I will say 5-7 and seven this year. But the very fact that Rutgers and bowl game will be in the conversation in November, in my opinion, says a lot based on everything that's gone down. I understand what you're saying, and I think that is a optimistic view. And I'm saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's optimistic, a pessimistic view. I can go with three wins or two wins. Fair. But here's what I look at. And I'll run it. I mean, things change with injury with how people develop. UW, a loss, right? Howard, win. New Mexico, we'll give them a win. You going to beat Iowa at home? Nope. Two and two. Ohio State at, on the road? Victory, upset. I'm calling oh, it now. <laughs> Good for you. Good yeah. call there. Good for so So, okay, so now you're still at two wins. Michigan at home? I mean, everybody talks about Michigan a couple of years ago winning at home. Rutgers was better. Michigan was worse. Had less talent. Was horrifically coached. And for some reason, Brady Hoke tried a 55-yard field goal after a kid couldn't catch the ball on the sideline. So remember exactly what happened in that. Illinois at home? Yeah, you should take care of that. Minnesota on the road? Yeah. Okay. Indiana at home? You can take care of that. So now you're telling me Rutgers can win three games in a row if you're going with that philosophy. Then you go to Michigan State, Penn State at home, and at Maryland. The best-case scenario is a six-win season. I don't think they're good enough to do it. I think also when you look at Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan, and you talked about the depth on this team, so you're going to come out of those games healthy. There's not going to be depth issues that really hurt you. That's why I look at it and I say, boy, this is tough. This is really, really tough. And then Michigan State, late in the season, my guess is they're going to be playing pretty darn well and maybe – you know, for a spot in the playoff like last year. And then Penn State at home, don't tell me that's going to be easy. So I, I look at it and I say, I, I don't see where you're getting those wins from. I could easily see this team winning three games. I mean, I know there's people that I've spoken with that are worried about New Mexico. That's tough. It is. And now that we've beaten down the Rutgers schedule, I, I want to shift gears a little bit. We've had very different perspectives of training camp this year. 
you're following a lot of it uh, while you're at high school scrimmages. You're you're hearing about it from all sorts of high school coaches and and recruits that you talk to. What is something in this training camp that you really like that either a change that was made or a storyline that caught your eye? Like there were some pretty cool things in this camp. What was something that you liked? I think the thing first off was the starting quarterback didn't sneak out, get arrested and get in trouble and get suspended. I feel like everybody did their work. Everybody did their job. Um, it was workmanlike. There was no nonsense with it. You felt like they were working to get better. There was no crap involved. That's what I liked about it. I, my favorite thing was second chances. We uh, We get to know... 90% of these players, Rutgers players, as high school kids, and you like a lot of them. There were guys on this team that were just falling apart on the depth chart, were never going to see the field because they weren't being properly motivated. Or coached. Yes, and now they are. So for a guy like Carlton Agadosi or Miles Nash that I've known since they were 16, to see them struggle and not get opportunities was tough because they're really likable players. They're really nice people. Good kids. Great kids. And now now we're talking about Agadosi going out for the first play as a starter. He's the only wide receiver from that first Kyle Flood class that's still here. Obviously, two of the other ones were Ian Thomas and Ruhan Peel, so that's another story. That worked well. Yeah. And Miles Nash, you're talking about, Miles Nash is going to be this year's Kamoko Ture in their scheme. He's their speed pass rusher that they bring in on third and long. So those kinds of stories I love that, Guys that could have transferred, maybe should have transferred, stayed, and they're now being properly motivated, and they're in a position to succeed. And that just makes me happy as someone that knows them as people. Yeah, that's fun, especially a guy like Nash. I remember watching him at Timber Creek. played with Greg Webb and Quanzel Lambert, and Nash was the most talented kid of the three. just needed to put on weight. and He did. He, he finally did put weight on, and it's nice to see him stick through it. And at the end of the day, What's good to see when you talk about guys like Carlton and Miles and you know, whoever you want to talk about, get your education. Just get get a, you know, when kids talk about transferring and, and picking schools, it's, well, what are you going to transfer to and how is that degree going to help you in three years? So it's good that if they're going to stay in Jersey, I think a Rutgers degree does well for them. Last thing before we, before we wrap up the podcast this week, last year Rutgers had some breakout players that came out of nowhere it happens every year in every program do you have a guy brian that you think will be that guy for rutgers this year well i do but you're not going to be able to measure it with statistics unless you can count pancakes i think derek nelson's going to be really good this year i think he's a kid that came out of high school out of dc and uh we know how tough the kids are down in the dc region sam we do and I remember there was talk about him having a chronic knee issue and would he be able to play. And I talked to him about that, I can't remember, probably last season. And he says, ah, oh, you know what, it turned out I just needed to be tougher. Which, I guess, getting out of where you grew up was good for him to get tougher. And so I'm looking for him to really settle that offensive line down because he's a smart kid and he's a talented kid. And that can go a long way with success with this team. So I, I think he's my guy. It, it's not going to happen right away, but I think that Najee Clayton is the future of the Rutgers linebacker position. Uh, I think he 
plays with the right kind of edge that you want a linebacker to play with. Uh, he's plays angry. He hits hard. He's athletic. Eventually, he's going to be big enough to be a legitimate Big Ten linebacker. It's not going to happen right away, but Game 10, we're going to be talking about him a lot. For the first time in the history of the Rutgers ScoutCast, we are over an hour, so no need for a long wrap-up from me. A final thank you to Chris Carlin, who honored me by not only stepping into my apartment, that takes some balls, but giving us a good half hour of really compelling audio content for the Rutgers ScoutCast. I will close this by reminding you all to check out fanessentials.net with my promo code SCARLET. I also remind you to tune in to Chris Carlin and the Rutgers radio broadcast tomorrow at Washington. Whether you are watching on TV and want to mute it, or simply want to hear the call from a Rutgers perspective, that is the place to go. I'm Sam Hellman, Scarlet Report publisher. Thanks for listening.